When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fuck up the glass. Tillamook ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Welcome back. It's Friday. What was that face? Hold on. As soon as I'm about to kick off this podcast and welcome all of you beautiful people to another lovely Friday with Good Game Nice Try, I got a grimace from Aaron. Well, I didn't mean to. I just started talking when you were talking. I felt like I got in your way. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, happy Friday. Here's the thing. I I just got look. I got to bring something up very quickly. One thing is, you know, so I, being a good person, when the pandemic started down the hall, my two friends, Ben and Nick, were in a great band called Strange Hotels. We were talking and they were saying, oh, we're going crazy. We're going crazy. I was like, hey, why don't you guys borrow my Xbox for the week? You know, we didn't know how long the pandemic was start was going to last, right? Nice. Okay. That's nice of you. Because we were talking about how much we love Halo, how much we love Halo. And they are just, they love Halo 3. They consider it the greatest game of all time. They would play multiplayer all the time. And I was like, why don't you guys borrow my Xbox? I have Halo 3 and just play it for the week. They're like, great. That week turned into two, turned into two months, turned into oh. almost two years they've had the Xbox. Oh, no. And they've been playing Halo 3 every single day. <laughs> but right? they're, still, they're still getting use out of it now, even this far down the road. So I was having uh, Zoom drinks with my friend Ryan Hartman, who runs PAX. Great guy. Uh, PAX is also amazing. And he was saying, hey, man, do you want to play Halo Infinite? And I said... Well, I don't have an Xbox. And he goes, but I've been seeing you play Halo all the time. <gasps> oh. <laughs> does he think Does he think that he's just trying to blow you off or you're trying to just blow him off? <laughs> That's when I realized those guys were playing on my account. And then I was like, hey, guys. Uh, yeah, so you guys will play Halo. Like, yeah, dude, it's crazy. Like, we're in all these flame wars with all these people. I'm like, wait, 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 what? They're like, yeah, people are talking shit. And we're like, fuck you, fuck you. And I'm like, wait, 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 that's coming from me. So for the past two years, I just have to say, anyone listening, all you beautiful people, anyone (laughs) listening, if you have played Halo against me in the last two years, you have not been playing me. You've been playing (laughs) the band Strange Hotels. And if I've said anything to offend anyone, I'm sorry, because it hasn't been me. It's been them apparently getting into Mm. fights with 13-year-olds on Xbox. (laughs) So as hilarious as this sounds, (laughs) I really think this is just like a long, convoluted way for you to get just get out of being like a shithead on Xbox for the last two years. I swear, I swear there's these other guys. And like, and and my my kill death ratio, it's awful, obviously, not me, right? Right? Right, guys? So, so I mean, and also, I don't play multiplayer. I don't play against people online. We've talked about this. So, anyway, I just have to, I have to come clean. 
you have not been, if you, if we have played an Xbox game together in the last two years, it has not been me. Okay. Wait, so that wasn't you just like teabagging everybody on my team? Well, no, I would go over there and teabag everyone on your team. I mean, oh, I, they would hand okay. me the controller and I would victory crouch. Oh, oh Yes. Yeah. But, victory know. crouch. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't make that up. That's a thing. But uh, yeah, so I just, <laughs> be careful who you lend your, anyway, I got the Xbox back. So Sonia, if you ever want to play Halo Infinite, now you can actually play me. I just have to wade, wade through a lot of bad messages. I'm, gl- I'm glad it's finally within your control, uh, whether true or not, or cop out or not. <laughs> uh, and I'm excited to throw down in Halo. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great. And I will say Halo 3 it, you know, one of the greatest multiplayer. Classic. Yeah, classic. And Halo, one of the greatest games of all time. I'm excited today mm-hmm. because, as you know, I, uh, huge Bioshock uh, freak, I think. Mm-hmm. It's beyond fandom for me. I feel you. I am definitely up there as well. And while I have played one and two up until recently, have not had the chance to dive into Bioshock Infinite uh, until now with our game book club. Uh, which we will be diving into all of our thoughts and feelings uh, after this interview, but absolutely excited for today. I know. So look, our guest today, I mean, to call him a game developer almost feels reductive. He, I, I think, is one of the greatest, most visionary minds that that gaming has, as an, as an art form, by the way. He's an amazing storyteller. Uh, he is the mind behind Bioshock. Uh, he did Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. And so this is the perfect culmination of Game Book Club. Uh, and I have to say, Bioshock Infinite, one of the greatest games, in my opinion, of all time, and possibly the greatest ending of any game to date. Oh my God. Uh, which you guys now clearly know and can agree with me about. Uh, he's also the co-founder and creative director of Ghost Story Games. And I have to say, I am extremely excited to see uh, some of the stuff that they're uh, going to come up with. And it was really fun to talk to him about all of that stuff. Please enjoy this interview with Ken Levine. Ken, this is uh, a huge thrill for us, obviously because we we love your work, but also this booking came at a perfect time because we're doing a thing on this podcast where we're doing Game Book Club. So we're playing a game, uh, the three of us, Jen, our producer, Sonia, myself, and with all of our fans, we're all playing through Bioshock Infinite. Now, I have completed it because I love great things uh, and great stories. Sonia and Jen, this is their first time kind of playing through. And one of the reasons why I love Bioshock Infinite, there's so many, is because without spoiling it, you stick the landing. It's one of the greatest endings, not just of games, but in my view, books, movies, any story. Uh, And it, it kind of brings up this thing of... You know, we talk a lot about on this podcast games being an art form. And we're at the time now, I didn't make this up, but I subscribe to it, where kind of where films were in the 30s, that's kind of where video games are now. And we're just starting to capitalize on this proactive form of entertainment and like, oh, this visceral emotional experience digging into it. But if you don't stick the landing... It taints the rest of the thing. So uh, for you and for someone who, you know, in Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite and the things you're working on now, how do you make sure you stick the landing? What are what are some things you, uh, in your head, as you're kind of finishing the narrative of, of, of a game, you're making sure that you're checking off? Well, the one thing I want to say, Aaron, first is like, well, I'll give you a compliment only if, if a compliment is that we think alike, because I agree with you that games are sort of, 
Yeah, like I, I was sort of saying that we're sort of in the, you know, silent film era kind of, of really figuring out what the medium is. Like probably like nobody, when sound came around, when speech came around in, in films, there's a lot of people who didn't, you know, who who thought it was a bit of an abomination, right? Though why do you need that for film? And yeah. the notion now of silent film being the sort of final form is sort of incomprehensible to us. And probably I don't think we've seen the final form yet. So I, I like that metaphor um, and I agree with it that we have, you know, a long ways to go. And I, I'm, I've been lucky in my career to be at the fa- at sort of the start of it, you know, more towards the start of it than more towards the end of it, because for a couple of reasons, one, because it's super exciting and we're always trying to figure out, um, we're trying to figure out what it is, you know, what is this thing we're making? Yeah. And that's, that's not easy to do, but it also allows us, you know, I like it because it lets me make a lot of mistakes that, you know, like a filmmaker now can't make the rookie mistakes that a filmmaker in the twenties and thirties can make, you know, just all the concepts that had to be created. You know, when you go back and you watch, um, you know, a voyage to the moon, um, you know, Malay's film or something like that. It, there, it's basically a stage play. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it, there's so many things like somebody had to invent the close up. Somebody had to invent the tracking <laughs> right. shot. Right. Somebody had to invent, you know, the fade, yeah. you know, and these things, you can see in films all these things coming along, you know, at various points. And I still think we're developing the vocabulary and the language. So I just sorry, before I got to your answer on the on the ending, I just want to point out that I think that's a really good observation. It always blows my mind that like I think there are no ceilings and sets built before Citizen Kane. I think like that might be like the first movie that had like there where they showed like a ceiling in a film, which really? is insane. Yep. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, well, it's a pain that you know, that a hangout. <laughs> yeah, you know, like theater doesn't have ceilings, right? right. So you're just putting flats, and people usually take the form they understand, mm. you know, which is theater or whatever it's going to be that came before it, and then they copy that, and then they try to then they innovate and they find you know angle reverse angle and all these other things, even ceilings, like you said. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really good point. In terms of endings. Um, as somebody who's not stuck the landing in a couple of games, <laughs> substantially not stuck the landing, like really crashed and half the crew died and, you know, passengers are on fire. Um, I really wanted to stick it in infinite. So I appreciate that you liked it. Um, but we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what that ending was going to be. And we spent a lot of energy on it, which we had it like in, in Bioshock one, we didn't really spend a lot of time mostly for, we didn't have the time um, and there were some publisher things the publishers wanted that I wasn't so excited about, like multiple endings. Um, I didn't really want for that game. And th- this time we decided not to do multiple endings and just get one ending really right. And the, I guess, you know, you in terms of the ending, it's a story of a, a journey of a character's journey, you know, in Booker and Elizabeth are sort of both going on, on this sort of, on sort of this path and, where do they end up relative to where they start? And then we knew we had this whole concept of multiple worlds and um, and this notion of the you know this of him going on Booker's life taking these two different paths you know between Father Comstock and Booker. There's a lot of spoilers here, so you know <laughs> just plug your ears. Yeah. La, la, la. <laughs> yeah, and so figuring out we knew what the story we wanted to tell us, but figuring out the way to tell it in a video game. That was very visual, but also not locking the player in place into a cutscene. Yeah, was really important to us because if the movie, if it just ended with a movie, then I kind of think we're violating what makes games special. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the ability again, again um, to go back to Rapture and understand that because a lot of people asked us like when we started the game, is this is this really a sequel to Bioshock? Are you just calling it Bioshock, right? Right. right. And 
we always knew we wanted to tie the things together. At the beginning, honestly, we weren't sure how. We knew thematically there were ties, but then being able to go back to Rapture and use the player's knowledge of something that the characters didn't have was powerful because we, for them, it it was kind of a confusing experience for Booker, but we knew the player would bring knowledge to the scene that that the characters didn't have. And that would really help us um, tell that story in a way that just a new, not if we hadn't done the previous game, it would have been much harder to establish the multiple worlds idea, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And with, you know, and with sticking the landing obviously comes with an incredible narrative paving the way to the landing, which I feel like, you know, in Bioshock and in Infinite and everything, um, between all the audio logs and the environment and everything, it all plays such a key part. And it, it's, it truly is incredible. It's one of the games that I've, I've found myself involving myself more with actually picking up the audio logs and wanting to absorb every bit of lore that I possibly can. So I guess all things considered, what really makes a great narrative to lead you to sticking a great landing? I think the thing you talked about picking up the audio logs is something that games can do that other games can't with other media can't do, which is give the player a choice. Mm. So the fact that instead of us sort of forcing you into a cutscene and making you watch the story or forcing you to listen to something, we were always nervous that people wouldn't pick up these audio logs because they don't have to. But the fact that you, and I, and I never had the experience of playing it, you know, in the same way that a new player coming to it can, but by, by not forcing the story upon the player, by allowing them to uncover it, sort of like an archaeologist, you know, digging through the ruins of an ancient city, the, I, I, my sense is, and again, I'm probably the worst person to ask. You guys would be, you guys would be much better to to tell me whether I'm right here. Is that by not locking the player into it, they have a sense of discovery they wouldn't have in any other medium, mm-hmm. and by having that discovery they feel more connected to the material because it feels more like them. You know, the fact that you're playing it here in this part of the level versus somebody else that you, and you're re-listening to in this corner while Splicer's walking by, you know, in the distance and you're trying not to get spotted, it gives that moment a unique feeling that a cutscene just can't give you. Yes. 100%. And that's trying to embrace the medium. And I think that's why people tend, I'm always surprised how well people know the story to Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite because I would, I wasn't sure people would, pick the things up but but generally i'm always shocked how much people get understand the story and pay attention to those things yeah and it's so funny because you know we've talked about kind of fallout and how you know bethesda does obviously this huge open world and and they have a, a similar thing where you can kind of have these moments that feel personal to you like oh i discovered a little hole in a mountain and i went down or whatever but you know the the flip side the dark side of that is i've always felt with those games that i'm not getting i'm missing out on a lot and what i loved about bioshock was it felt like oh i'm getting the fully formed story i'm getting the fully formed narrative here i'm getting what you know the the creators want me to learn and it is really it's a it's a really cool thing, I think, a, as a player to be able to determine your level of involvement. It's like an iceberg, right? Like everybody gets if you're playing through the game, everyone is gets the top above the water. But then you, you know, icebergs are huge and most of it's under the water. And so there's this rich lore and story that can happen underneath um, the water if you choose to pick up all the audio logs and things. And it's so funny, you know, we were watching some of your interviews and, you know, one of the things 
discussed uh, was replayable narrative. And when we're thinking of trying to slay this dragon of replayable narrative, you know, I, I know that's something that you, you feel passionate about. Who do you think is kind of doing it right out there in terms, or is anybody cracked this yet? You know, I kind of think about game sort of storytelling. It's, it's a bunch of different things. So you have just sort of pure narrative, like, you know, who are the characters? What is the setting? Yeah. You know, what happens? And then I'm playing a game now like Inscription. I don't know if you guys have seen that game. It's this weird rogue card roguelike game. And it's got a very mysterious story that is not quite, you probably couldn't, nobody, two people would write it out the same or a game like Inside. I don't know if you guys played oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, which you don't exactly know what's happening, but it's got a huge vibe yes, to it, you yes. know? And world and world building, like very, it's, you, absolutely. you know, you see when you're going between the buildings and you see these people like all lined up as the weird zombies. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's not a word in the story, no, right? There's yeah. not a single word. And you don't know exactly what's happening, but you know it's a, you know in a dystopian society and you're not even sure who you are or how you got there. And that's okay because you just need to know enough the player. Like, well, that game, for instance, what are you supposed to do in every screen? You go from left to right. Yeah. Much, right? Yeah. So they've already motivated you in a very, using the side scroller in a very clear way to set up what the, what the motivation is. And that's what you always ask, you know, when you're writing a script, movie ever in a bunch of movies and stuff and and games, you know, it's like, okay, you know, what does this character want, right? And what's in their way? That's the whole thing. And in that, in that game, they use very visual, clear, visual, iconic language to say that without even getting into the details of the story. So I think there's lots of games out there um, that have a vibe, you know, Darkest Dungeons, another yeah. good example of a game that has a lot of vibe and not really a clear story. And that's okay. And they're replayable, those games that they have over this roguelike loop, but you never really know exactly what that story is. And I think that's okay, which cinema doesn't, cinema has to be a lot fairly avant-garde for that to be okay. And those movies tend to really only appeal, you know, we watch Shannon Andalou or something like that, which, you know, which is, you know, Dolly, you know, Salvador Dolly. And, and, you know, there's no real narrative and that's much more akin <laughs> to games like Inscription or Inside where you don't really exactly know what's happening. And I think audiences are much more, or even game like Edith Finch or something like that. There's sure. much more willingness to accept that I'm not going to get every question answered here, but I'm going to be driving the experience. Yeah. A thousand percent. And, you know, leading into choices and re replayability in games, um, you know, it's not only just different endings, like multiple endings. It's not just, um, you know, like a morality scale, having different things happen depending on your your moral choices. But it, even just like from a granular perspective, like little things that affect the game along the way um, and make it feel, you know, more like a personal experience. And like you are making these big decisions and seeing the effects of that. Are you taking, um, you know, the way that you put it actually in that talk, uh, radical recognition, I've never, I haven't really heard of it put that way, but it really summed up something that I love so much about um, games and uh, what they can offer in, in terms of experience and, and choices and, you know, seeing the ramifications of your choices and how it affects story. Um, are you taking any of that into consideration for, you know, future games or future developments? Yeah, I think, um, so, yeah, I want to carefully evade the question of the future games because I'm not allowed to talk about it yet yeah. at all. But, I, but I think I'm comfortable in saying that this notion that we were talking about, radical recognition, is is a, is one that's pretty, it's not, the, the soil has not been very well tilled there. And I think there's a lot of opportunity. You're starting to see 
some of it appear in games like, you know, Hades does a very good job yes. of recognizing your choices. And it's not, it's not even like that hard a problem to solve. It just means it just, from a technical standpoint, it just, it's just a lot of work, right? It's a lot of, you know, the work to recognize the player's actions and to keep a database of those actions and then to write content to support you know, <laughs> then to fill it all in, yeah, yeah, to, to say, hey, I'm watching you. I'm paying attention. You matter here, right? Mm-hmm. You're not like everybody else going through this. You're not. It's not a. It's not Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney World where everybody goes through exactly the same experience. You're not just a rubber stamp. You're having a unique impact on the game world. And you know what? Even if it's a little thing. Mm-hmm. The, the bar is pretty low. Speaking of Hades, I mean, Hades did that so beautifully. And that's one thing that really stuck out to me is, you know, after you die, however many times, every time you come out, you know, they speak to how you how you died in the last bit. Yep. You know, they, they acknowledge it. It's that acknowledgement of like, yeah, that is that is what happened. Thanks for reminding me. Um, but it is like such a small little narrative tweak, but it really, you know, it makes an impact. And that's and that's right. That word "impact" you use. That's why we're there, right? We're in. A, we're playing a game rather than watching a movie because we can make an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go see the latest Marvel movie and it's great, but you're not. You could you could have been anybody else, right? <laughs> but you and Hades, or you in a game that has this sort of radical recognition notions, are different from everybody. Your experience mattered. Your choice mattered. And um, it's nice to think the game's paying attention. Yeah, because um, that's what it, that's what a dungeon master does, right? The dungeon master. Yeah. And it's a really, it's not, it's very hard to write an organic full dungeon master, you know, of any kind of, I mean, you can't, it's, it's almost, you know, it's a very hard, very hard problem, but recognizing actions is something that's within the scope of what we can do. And I think as an industry, we need to do a better job of it. And people are starting to point the way towards that. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say as well, like when we're talking about, you know, radical recognition, it feels like we're having epiphanies on a narrative level, like, oh, Oh right! So now I'm I'm almost part of this story. That's really I mean for me when we're talking about what pulls me into a story with a video game, it does it needs to feel like a personalized experience, or at least that I'm connecting with it in some way. And I can't even imagine where we'll be in five years in terms of making the like I'm having experience. I'm recommending a game, but I'm like maybe it won't be the same experience. You might not get the same story at all, and it feels different than a choose your own adventure book uh, in those ways. I think that's where the opportunity space is right now. And it is, you know, in the same way that I think we struggled against linearity for a long time. And linearity, like you said, with um, Bioshock story may feel cleaner in some sense and fall out because we have the advantage of having a linear storytelling structure, which they didn't have, right? So we had an easier problem to solve. And more powerful. I mean, we, it ends up being a more powerful story, in my opinion, because, it, you know, it, it feels like, like I was saying earlier, a fully fleshed out story that I'm getting versus like, did I do the thing? I didn't, did I, I didn't go to the wasteland, you know, like. Right. But to be fair to Fallout, we also lose something by making a linear story, right? Which is, which is the openness and the player choice True. and all that stuff. True. So in Bioshock, we actually sort of made a joke about it. You know, the whole would you kindly moment reflects upon the lack of agency the player has. And, yeah. you know, we kind of wrote or painted ourselves in a corner a bit there too, right? It's because like, once you make the joke about how limited the thing is, you keep making the limited thing. <laughs> right, yeah. And so it just drives kinda, it in harder. Yeah, I'm looking around. <laughs> yeah. Wait, this is very limited. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, because we called it out, right? <laughs> 
And so Infinite, we kind of like uh, said, well, you know, well, we, 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 and we didn't really have a solid plan of how to deal with that. And, you know, so the goal, I think we're, I like to see the industry, not the industry, because I, I think it takes, you know, I never want to dictate to somebody else what kind of games they should make. But how do you get that level of choice and that level of storytelling, oh. you know, working together? And it's a super, it's a super hard problem. That's why you haven't seen a game for me in a long time, because it's a super hard problem. And I knew what we were getting into. Unfortunately, we have support from Take Two, and you know they trust us that it's they'll allow they'll allow us to do this time because a lot of publishers say we have you know you have two years and then you got to annualize it. Right. And, right. Um, that's not the situation we were in. So yes, we've been work, working hard to try to figure out that path forward of how you merge those those two things that are both very the player wants, the player wants the freedom, but they also want to be told a story like you're, I think like you're getting at Aaron is that feels complete and meaningful and a whole, and not just sort of hinted at or nudged at, um, but you're really going down some kind of journey that feels, it feels gettable. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary dairy. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Probably pretty under wraps. Can't speak too much, but I would love any uh, any insight into um, everything you're you're cooking behind the scenes at Ghost Story Games. Yeah, I wish I could give you more, Sonia. I, you know, I, I can't really say much about it because um, we are trying not. We're trying to avoid going out and publicly talking about a game before it's really well cooked. You know, mm-hmm. because we've had the experience of going out and talking about something, and then something changes in the design, and then people get frustrated because they saw something they got excited about, and then you know, through the natural course of development, you realize that thing doesn't work very well. It's not very fun. It may look great in an E3 video or something, but it's just not fun to play. And you can't just leave it there because then you're like, you're shipping something that you know isn't fun for the player. And so we really wanted to wait until the thing was in a much more finished condition before we started talking about it. I would, listen, trust me, I, I, I'm in love with this thing and I would love nothing more than be able to tell you every single thing about it. But um, it can't. But I think it won't surprise people. Could probably put a lot of pieces together, you know, out of what I've said in the past, and you know, the kind of games we've made before, and what I've been, you know, frustrated about in terms of what we've not achieved. Um, I didn't want to. You know, the reason I didn't go make another Bioshock game, you know, is because I didn't know what else to do. Personally, I didn't know what to do to make something different, to make a different statement, and. I wanted to, and it wasn't easy to step away. You know, you finally, when I was, I remember when I got started in the industry, I was like, oh my God, if only I could make a game that like people play, like if I can sell a million copies of something, that many people play, like, 
like I could die happily. And then you, you do something like that. And then you realize, okay, well, I did that. Well, what do I, I do next? And I didn't want to just keep repeating the thing I had, we had done because, you know, you only get so many of these in your life um, to make. They take a long time, especially this one. And so each one has to matter, or at least it has to have a chance at mattering. Um, so we, it is ambitious. It is a very challenging game. And we are trying to address some of the issues we're talking about um, and with our particular take on it, because we care. It's, you know, it's very narrative focused and we care. We care about narrative a lot and we care about you know, what the future, you know, what the potential of game, whether we succeed or not, you know, hopefully we will in a big way, but we want to try to move the ball down the field for what narrative can be in a game, because that's, that's my chosen field. Like I love movies and I love books and I love TV shows, but I, um, you know, games are my thing. And I, if I can, if we can make some small contribution to moving the ball down the field towards these goals, well, that would be great. You know, we're 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 getting low on time, and and we asked our fans uh, for for questions for you. So uh, we could do a couple rapid fire fan questions. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Fantastic. This is from Twitter. Okay. So at uh, Stephen Scott Day asks, uh, what sort of genres in film slash TV slash comics do you love that you haven't seen done quite right in video games yet? And mechanically, what do you think would make that genre interesting? Well, one disadvantage games have to films is that, you know, you can pretty much write a film about any genre, you know, you could write a story, you know, how do you, like a love story is a very hard thing to do in a game, right? Yeah. You know, a a story of a, somebody's collapse into, you know, uh, mental illness and, and, and the kind of way it really works because you don't have mechanics in, in movies and games generally... You know, there's some games that are now that don't have mechanics, like, you know, say Gone Home or something like that. Sure. And so you can explore... And, but even that's sort of rooted in the exploration mechanic. You always need, every all games have some sort of mechanic. That's sort of what makes the game, even if it's just walking around. And so I think there's a lot of genres that are very, very tricky, like, you know, telling, you know, one of my favorite love stories is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, oh. right? And which, mm-hmm. which is so beautifully told and so told with so much mystery and so many layers. But, you know, um, he's in, they're in charge of, you know, they're, they're in charge of every frame of that, of that experience. And they can really magic because the amount of information is so overwhelming and it'd be so easy to get lost and lose track and that movie be completely terrible. But the, but the creator has such fine control over it because they're literally choosing every frame. And so I would love to, you know, and so my favorite films tend to be strange, hard to define genres, whether it's like, you know, um, there will be blood is one of my favorite films or Miller's crossing by the Coen brothers. I tend to like these very auteur driven um, films that don't really fit into a traditional three act structure that um, have themes that you don't quite see in other stories. They're that aren't very really character about, based. Yeah. Very like very like, character driven. Exactly. That's another problem you have in games, especially when you're playing the character is how do you make a character driven story where you don't have c- control as the, as the creator of that journey you know, how do you get the moment of, you know, Daniel Plainview saying, I abandoned my boy, I abandoned my child. You know, how do you do that in a game? How do you get to that moment? You can't. Yeah. And so you do something different. So I think there's a, a danger in overly trying to ape, you know, what somebody else does. Um, some things are easier, like Star Wars. There's reason so many games about Star Wars is it's heavily 
violently conflict-driven, right? You know, it's very hard to tell the story. It's easy to tell the story of blowing up the Death Star, but it's not so easy to tell the story of, the, of Luke going from a child to a man, yeah. right? That's the part that you can't really do. But the flying the TIE fighter part, <laughs> that you can do. Sure, that is basically a game. Yeah, and has been. Um, wow, yeah. So, um, so at, Cla- uh, at Claudioff asks, if you could go back and make uh, a game again, uh, one a game you've made, Bioshock or otherwise, uh, what would you do differently? Is there anything that that speaks to you? The game is released. You you can you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking back on on some of the games you've made, is there anything in particular like, oh, that one's a pebble, a pebble in the shoe? I wish I didn't do that thing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, System Shock Two, our first game. It was, I knew at the time the ending was terrible. Like you talk about sticking the landing. That was that was a, you know, air, the entire crew, the, the passengers, everybody, the entire airport was destroyed when we when we landed that. And I knew it at the time. We just didn't have, we had 14 months to make the game. And I don't even know what that ending would be. Um, and I probably, you know, even if somebody offered me, I don't think I would do it because I think you're just trying to fix your mistakes in the past. I'd rather just make a new mistake, you know, and try to be better about that new mistake. Um, but it was terrible. I had to really <laughs> weigh down the experience. And I think we, we, until Infinite, I think we really struggled to stick the landing, even Bioshock 1. Um, we, you know, we had a problem where our, you know, the great, the reveal, the big reveal happened at the end of Act 2. And that's kind of left Act 3 a little flaccid. And um, I, I would probably do it differently. I don't think I would want to because, you know, I think that's, that's not necessarily the most mentally healthy thing is try to go back and it's like, Oh, don't you want to go? If you can go back and fix your past relationships, when do you do that? But then you're not going to meet somebody new. Right. Um, Eternal sunshine. All over again. Maybe it's unfixable. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'd have no great idea of how to fix system shock to or how to fix Bioshock, but I can recognize the fact that they weren't ideal. You know, they weren't the things I was happiest with in those games. It's, it's what you learn. It's what you learn it's, along the way. And the- right. It's the fr- friends you make along the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, another one that I thought was really interesting, I'm going to butcher this, at, is it Chav Chihiro? Uh, if Bioshock was not a first-person shooter, uh, how else would you most want to see the game represented? They say, you know, example, like a third-person, fixed camera, top-down, side-scroller. Like, what other kind of format do you think would be um, interesting to explore through Bioshock? I think Bioshock especially is, is served by being first person because you're such a cipher in it. And the fact that you don't see yourself and the fact that you're so ill-defined is its strength. And I always try to do, to leverage whatever it's, you know, and I tend to make mostly first person games, um, except for Freedom Force. I think I've made only first person, well, one game that never shipped. Um, it was a third person game. That's not a arbitrary, you know, we don't just say, okay, it's first person, why not? Like if it is first person, we try to make everything pay off to that fact that it's first person the fact that you are in those games a bit of a a bit of a cipher you know in that game that you don't you that you're kind of invisible you know and don't really have any heft to you we try to make that a strength rather than a weakness it is tougher in a first person like if you did uncharted in a first person game similarly without seeing nathan drake i think that game wouldn't really hold up in the same way because he's so central his body how he moves his body language or you know mario or something like that mario is a first person game would be uh, I, god i wouldn't want to play that game right <laughs> so much about how he moves to the world you know what are what are the verbs the player has what are the actions he's take what is their character journey like you have to take your limitations 
know, first person, you have to try to turn them into strengths, you know, in the same way with third person, you want to, you want to also leverage all your strengths maximally. Um, so first person, I've always liked, cause it gives you, it's sort of, you know, you're not, you are yourself more in first person games than you are in a third person game. Like, and I've always enjoyed that merger of trying to merge the player and the character into a singular element. Uh, and so I, I prefer that from the style of things I do. And I've, like we could have done, the, you know, these games, third-person games. It would have been harder technically. We don't have a ton of experience with it, but I think it would have. T- we would have by nature, by de- we would have had to change and change the story because it wouldn't have impacted as well. Our last fan question here at Megapow says, uh, and this is: Did you foresee that Enrage would become the most controversial of the plasmids? This one's aimed at me because Enrage is my favorite plasmid because I'm a coward. Uh, I had the chameleon. I like to hide, and I try to make them make the enemies fight each other, uh, and it never works. They always then come at me. What if you had a plasma in your real life? What would the plasma be? Well, it's interesting because in the in the game world, there's lots of plasmids that like hint at you know making yourself better looking or making yourself more sexually potent or making yourself smarter. Those things are very hard to make games at, right? So we tend to have the things like light stuff on fire. And Here's bees. Yeah, shoot bees. Yeah, yeah, shoot the bees out of your hands. Yeah, which I kind of want that really have a ton of, yeah. It doesn't have a practical application really in real life. I mean, unless you're like, you know, in, in you know, running an apiary. Um, <laughs> right. And um, so, yeah, the, I think that I would probably would pull something more like from, um, you know, from the things that were advertised in the world rather than any of the powers, you know, because probably, you know, you don't want to have the electrocution power because you'll probably kill your family and that would be terrible or light your house on fire if it was, you know, incinerate. So, yeah, I think I would probably, you know, do something. I don't know. Is there one that makes you happier? That makes you like <laughs> satisfied with your life? The whiskey you know, plasmid. Yeah, there you the go. Whiskey, yeah. Yes, I would choose there the whiskey plasmid uh, without the hangover. Just like... The thing you do at the end of the day to like forget what ha- all the terrible things that happen today. If there's a plasmid for that, I'd, I'd go for that. <laughs> I think I think Men in Black condensed that into a pen. Yeah, yes. I think that's pretty. Simple. I wouldn't mind the pen. The pen yeah. could be useful. I'm here for the pen. There you go. I'm here for the pen. Uh, well, Ken, we're almost out of time, and and again, this has been a real treat for us. So thank you for being here. But we love to end every interview with asking our guests the same question: uh, their best game and their worst game. So the game that, not subjectively, just you personally, absolutely love. And the game that enrages you the most, or maybe disappointed you the most. Um, so let, well, let's start low and go high. What 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 is a game from childhood, currently, whatever that you were just that is like, oh, this game, oh, I can't stand. What is the worst game for you? I think the game that disappointed me the most because it, it was the aesthetic was so cool. Yeah, but the game just didn't work. Was a game called Interstate seventy six. That was one of the, if you, I don't try to remember, it was built in like the old Mech Warrior engine. And it was one of the first games that I saw that had a great vibe. It had like, it was, and now you see this like all the time, like a 70s homage type thing. It was like a 70s TV show vibe. And this came out in the 90s. Um, and it was like a car, you know, like, like auto duel kind of thing where you like have these cars, you put weapons on them. But it was told in this incredibly stylistic way, even with the opening, you know, you see those, um, you see those videos online where it's like, oh, here's a modern movie, but it's, but here's the opening. Like it was, here's a modern TV show, but here's like, it was done in the 70s style opening where they have those, you know, the, the, the good looking people turning up the camera and free swimming <laughs> yeah, on them. Love boat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It did all those things. And that was at a time where aesthetic, especially aesthetics that weren't science fiction or fantasy tropes 
Because, you know, back when we started, you know, I, and the reason I felt Thief was to film noir is I want to bring different aesthetics that I hadn't seen before in games. But it was one of the first games that really had a different aesthetic. And unfortunately, the game, it didn't perform well. It didn't play well. And it was just ahead of its time. But it, it could have been something that was a classic. Um, and somebody, I, but and it was really ahead of a curve in thinking of aesthetics. Cool. Uh, and in terms of a game I just adore, Oh man, there's so many, um, and, it, and it changes all the time. I mean, I, if I had to choose one, I would say probably XCOM and the remake because it really was something that combined two smaller things. You know, the strategic mode of the you know the map and the world and the overall conflict and these individual battles to tell a larger story. And those two elements became uh, much greater than the sum of its parts. And, you know, and that was my favorite game for years and years and years. And they, uh, Jake Solomon, a friend of mine, a great, great guy, came along and took something wonderful and made it even better uh, without losing what made the heart of it. And that's a very hard thing to do. A remake is a really hard thing to get right. It always sounds great. And then you go in and play it, especially if you're changing it substantially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I, I think that game is probably, that series is, is, is always going to be my favorite. Wow. There's so many games and like, especially in the last few years, there's been so many great little indie games coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, whether it's something inscription or a place like the spire or, or inside, that's really, I'm seeing a lot of the amazing innovation coming around and lots of new ideas coming around. So it's, I, th- I think it's, you get a much broader, you can really, if you look really hard now, you can really find amazing experiences. They're almost like short films. You know, it's exactly. almost like people making little short films, which is really yep. And they don't have to have be like ninety hours long or anything like that. And so you play them, and and um and you get something really special out of it. And and they keep learning from each other. They keep growing because there's not that same risk factor of they're going to spend five hundred million dollars on it or whatever. So they can really take chances. And even individuals, like you said, the Stardew Valley. You know, an individual can in their bedroom while they're doing their day job can make something that just is completely enchanting. Yeah. A thousand percent. And you know, it's XCOM today. It's frog kissing simulator tomorrow, (laughs) as we should always be expanding, you know, our, the games in our Rolodex. I feel like favorite games change all the time. So yeah. Yeah. So if we do this again a year from now, I may have a different answer for you. Uh, Thank you so much. Again, this was a real treat and uh, yeah, fascinating. All right. Well, thank you again to Ken Levine. Thank you for all of you who wrote in at Good Game Nice Try to uh, give us some questions to ask Mr. Levine. And yeah, what a thrill. And look, I think it's time, Sonia. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I've been waiting on this and stick around. We are going to take a really quick break. But if you want all of our juicy, juicy insight uh, and thoughts and feelings on Bioshock Infinite, it's coming up. Just stick around. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Yeah.
So look, the G3, the Golden 3, producer Jen Sample, Sonia and myself, we had this idea, Game Book Club, all right? About a month ago, we were like, you know what? We like books, or at least I like books, and uh, they have book clubs. So why not have a video game version of that called Game Book Club, right? It just makes sense. It makes sense, kind of. If we say it emphatically, it'll make sense. (laughs) So we asked you guys, we came up with like a couple of, of options. We asked you guys, what game should we play for the next month? And we decided upon Bioshock Infinite. One of my favorite games of all time. And Sonia and Jen, you guys had never played this game, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I, I think that it, it's been a month. I, we've all gone through this experience separately yet together. And now it's time to discuss Bioshock Infinite. So here we go. All right, we, we're on the other side. We're on the mm-hmm. other side of it. Now, for those who don't know, Bioshock Infinite, the third in the Bioshock series, takes place in a floating city called Columbia. It doesn't take place underwater in Rapture. And we are a person called Booker DeWitt, played by Troy Baker, uh, who comes to this city. He he is taken by this, this couple in a boat to a lighthouse, shoots him up into the city, and they say, bring us the girl and wipe away the debt. And so you are... Booker DeWitt, you're trying to rescue this girl, Elizabeth, and along the way, fight against this guy, Comstock, and his forces, all right? And that is kind of what the game's about. So we should also mention right now, if you haven't played Bioshock Infinite, we are going to completely spoil this game. Plug your ears, yes. Starting now. You know, for me, playing this game through the second time, I had such an appreciation for how early on he starts to seed this idea of different dimensions. And especially in the music, you hear a lot of like kind of Dixieland, barbershop quartet versions of songs of today, which I was like, oh my God, like almost, I want to say like in the first maybe 10 minutes of the game, it's you're already, it's already being planted in you that something is kind of not right and a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. When did There's you, an uneasiness. When did you guys first start to realize that there was something else going on under the surface with this game? I mean, it's, like you said, very similarly, it, it's kind of an undertone that follows you throughout. But I would say um, with everything leading up to kind of the, the ending of uh, of the story, the one part that just broke me entirely and my jaw dropped uh when everything opened up into rapture oh yeah are you kidding are you absolutely kidding <laughs> how quickly did you know it was rapture i didn't kind of know immediately i didn't i mean at first i was like oh underwater i'm like okay all right yeah and then i didn't i i saw songbird drowning and dying and her being like i'll just let go and then uh I didn't really get it at first. And then as soon as I backed up and kind of looked, I'm like, are you friggin' kidding me? <laughs> Opening up into, into rapture and everything. And I loved um, the one part that got me was city at the bottom of the sea or city at the bottom of the ocean. Ridiculous. Yeah. Booker shits on uh, rapture, which is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool. Like it was like seeing an old friend. It was like, right. and you're kind of walking through and then you get that cool panning as you get in the bathosphere and go to the surface. You get to see like the footlight theater and on all these other kind of places you had played yeah. and, and been trapped in. It was amazing. 
It was unbelievable. And then, you know, when she was saying uh, something about the stars being, you know, like other other doors or other something, I'm like, what? What do you mean? And then it slowly started piecing together that it is infinite. There are infinite timelines. There multiverse. are infinite. Multiverse. It was, uh, yeah, un- unbelievable. Always a city, always a man, constants and variables. That was such a cool moment for me too, because I kind of thought Bioshock infinite. The sky is infinite. We're in the sky. Mm-hmm. It's Bioshock, but infinite. But you're right. At the end, it's no, it's infinite possibilities, infinite timelines. So one thing that we are leading up to, and one thing that is driving me crazy that I need to talk about is Booker's true identity. Really, it's Comstock's true identity. It's true. Mm-hmm. Because it, Booker, so right, his backstory is he was at Wounded Knee and felt horribly guilty. So he goes to get baptized. And that is, he's reborn in the water in some of the timelines, right? He mm-hmm. chooses to be reborn. And those, when he's reborn, he chooses Comstock as, and that's his persona. So really, obviously, Comstock is yourself. And I feel like I pride myself on picking things up and seeing those things coming, I didn't see this one coming. So if if Booker is is technically like a different instance in a different multiverse of Comstock, and they're both kind of one and the same, does that also reflect on Jack and Andrew Ryan? Because it seems like there's so many parallels against all these different multiverses. You know what I mean? Wait, so you're saying that Jack was actually Andrew Ryan? They were the same person? I I don't know. Anything goes in a multiverse. That's why it's so stressful. Right? And there's so many similarities between like the songbird and and Big Daddies. How like mechanically how they work, like the lights True. and the mm. eyes and everything. Very, very similar. And Elizabeth and and the like the little sisters and how like the the Big Daddies are protecting the little sisters. Songbird looking over Elizabeth. I'm just saying there's a lot of parallels and I want to know how deep this runs. I, th- I think Jack was also all the little sisters. <laughs> oh my God, maybe. But I'm just saying there's a lot There's a lot of parallels and there's, you know, again, anything goes in the multiverse, but it's it comes down to constants and variables, like the constants in those kind of dynamics and just the variable being, or the variable being. See, you talking about this, your face is like lighting up and you're so <laughs> excited. Me, stressed out. Wow. Multiverses stress me out. It's not enjoyable to me. I just, once that layer came where I was just like, oh my gosh, this is multiverse, it, it overwhelms me too much and I just can't enjoy it. It's some, Even like with the Marvel movies, I'm just, the fact that Spider-Man's <laughs> going to be diving into the multiverse, I'm already dreading it because I'm like, this is too much to keep track of. I don't know. Loki, I couldn't keep track. So multiverses in general stress me out. However, that being said, I did find it the part of the game where I was just like, holy shit, was the coin flipping, you know, mm, where yes. it's like, yeah. where it's like they've seen him before. He's been here before. This is a r- routine where it's like the first time we're experiencing it as that character. That where I'm just like, oh my God, the characters already knew he was going to come. Like mm-hmm. it's fat. That's mm-hmm. crazy to me. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, w- talking a, a little less about story and, and a, because here, here's the thing I think bio, and here's why I loved it is because, like you guys are saying, world building's amazing. Uh, obviously the, the acting's incredible, writing's incredible, all this stuff, art direction, unbelievable. They stick the landing, 
which is fantastic. Yeah. Such a great, 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 great ending. But also, a game has to work as a game. And, you know, I, I think, like, I loved the idea now that there is this vertical kind of, with the action and, and the fighting, there's a vertical with the skyhook to everything. Mm. Where, you know, I did, I, you do think like in Rapture and in Bioshock 1 and 2, it's so claustrophobic and you're under and it's like things are dripping and it's great, but it was so cool to have the same kind of tension, stress and action happening where there's this kind of vertical ability to go up and down, which was cool. Yeah. And it just, it felt so open. It did. Yeah. Like you could just sort of explore anywhere, but. Which again, Overwhelming to me. <laughs> <laughs> too much space, too many multiverses. I feel you. Now, what about before we wrap the very, very end? The 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 final scene. The very final scene. Yes, I. So I felt like I might have had this spoiled ah. uh, a while ago. I I heard that he, you know, he dies. Cho- chooses to be drowned. Chooses to yes. have himself killed. Yeah. I just knew that he had that had died, and I was like, "Wow, that that, that sucks." But now that I have the full scope mm. and have the full understanding of what that actually means, it it was. I, I mean, I it, while it was that one like pinnacle moment was spoiled, uh, everything else it made it you know still entirely worth it to go through. You know, at the very very end, after he dies, he's back in the office, and you're crying. What do you think? Do you think he's learned? Do you think it's him? What do you think actually how it ends? Does he give her up again? Oh, no. Does he want to wipe the debt? See, it's I, stressful. I know it is stressful because it's like you hope that there is some residual bit of lesson that has stuck through all of this. But then yeah. you look at the coin flip and you know that he's been through it a, a hundred and however many times. So, oh, gosh. But that, again, like just the... The, the point at the end of such a good game and uh, like the the point on the end of an exclamation point of a good game where it, it keeps you wondering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It keeps you, it, it makes you wonder what their actual choices were. Um, my God. Totally. Agree. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like, like you said, it's not tied up neatly with a bow like so many games are and like the credit scenes roll. It almost leaves you just with more uneasiness. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's fun. I, 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 you know what? And, and I, but I completely agree. I think that that is one of the, that tiny little thing at the end, like, eh? like mm-hmm. leaving, leaving the door open, just a, a little tiny crack, mm-hmm. I think is, is again, what, what elevates this game from video game to a, a true piece of art. It's so good. And also, uh, I just wanted to make sure that we give the biggest shout out to Troy Baker. Yes. Absolutely phenomenal performance. Yeah, totally. Un- oh unreal. my gosh. Unreal. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and Ken Levine and his team. I mean, thank mm-hmm. you guys for making such a great thing. And we are excited. I'm so excited to see what Ghost Story Games uh, comes out with next because obviously yes. they, they've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt they can create some fantastic stuff. So that's yes. going to do it uh, for Game Book Club. That's going to do it for us this week. Of course, we want to know what you guys thought about Bioshock Infinite and the ending yes. and everything. So Tweet us. Tweet us at G- Good Game Nice Try on Twitter uh, and let us know what you want next. What games are we going to check out next and dive into next for our Game Book Club? I want to know your thoughts on Bioshock Infinite and I want to know what is up next. But thank you so much for joining us. Any final Give it gives the final sign off. 
I brought I, I brought you the girl. <laughs> no, I got I got to come up with a good, another good line. What's a good way to end it? Book or catch. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah. The, I love the whole idea is like, this game would have been ruined if he just dropped the baby. <laughs> like, whoops. No. Whoops. You no. know what? It's a multiverse. There's a thing where he's about to give Anna over and just drops her. And it's like, oh, oh no. I, guess, I guess I'll just take a second job and get my debt oh. done that way. <laughs> I'm going to hell. Uh, all right. Well, see you guys next week. Uh, Good Game, Nice Try is produced by Jed Samples and Nick Liao. Our executive producers are Joanna Solitaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Engineering by Will Beckton with engineering and sound design by Chester Guazdo. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. Special thanks to Lisa Byrne. Music by John Danik. Danik, Danik, Danik. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.